Now you heard before the announcements, and if you look down through the end of Revelation chapter 2, you're going to see we're at the church of Thyatira, pretty cool name. But there's a, a lot regarding sexual immorality within the text. You've been around a while, you might know, I, I can't tell you, I got some notes, but I can't tell you where, I'm not going to look at them, and I can't tell you where I'm going with it. So if you do have kids, just, this is your FPC 17 forewarning. If you have not had the talk, there are other ministry learning environments available we are going to pray. If you've got your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. We're going to finish up chapter 2. And as we're praying, you have a second to sneak out. A final second, because once we start, that's over. <laughs> Father, thank you for just being so good. God, you know, football is fun. Uh, the Christmas time is a great season for family and friends. But coming out of Thanksgiving, just, you know, seeing family and just uh, being loved and loving others. It's a great time of year, but above all of it, Father, just your grace in making us your people. Gathering together in your house to hear your word. Father, our words are always fall flat. Your word always prevails. It is epic. It is the highest form of truth that can enter our minds. Thank you for loving us enough to speak, to gather us, to love us, to shelter us, to protect us, to encourage us, to build courage in us. Father, continue your work through your words to the seven churches. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Which, by the way, didn't Pastor Nick do an amazing job yesterday? Or uh, last Sunday? Not yesterday, last Sunday. Uh, I don't even think he was off the stage yet. And I was texting him, dude, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. So good. But now, verse 18, we're in our fourth church. Out of the seven churches, we've moved through Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, and now we find ourselves in a place called Thyatira. And let's do this. Let's read, and this is the longest letter to one of these seven churches, but let's read it all so we can get its full context. I was going to say my little Spanish phrase, but I've already forgotten it. Dadgummit, I really wanted to get that right. Oh, well, but this is the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. 
Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who will have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As with when earthen pots are broken in peace, and even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Esta es la palabra de Dios. I remembered. This is the word of the Lord. Are you ready? Thyatira, let's go. Back up to 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now let's talk about the city just for a moment. We're working our way through some harbor towns of Ephesus and Smyrna into Pergamum. We find ourselves now at this fourth city. The least of all the seven cities in terms of size and in terms of greatness. In fact... Thyatira has a long history of being a city that's constantly been conquered and burned down and have to rebuild because it has no natural defenses. Because when it was first settled, it was never meant to be a city in the first place. After Alexander the Great uh, conquered Asia Minor, he left some men back in this place that we now call Thyatira to be an outpost, to be a, a, a first act of defense against Pergamum. Uh, that was uh, to the, to, uh, uh, beyond Thyatira. So all it was was a military outpost. But it was in this great mid-location from the harbor cities of the south and the harbor cities of the north on this great trade route. So uh, some commerce began happening there. And Thyatira had something that the other cities didn't have. Even though they were smaller and not as great, they had something the other cities didn't have. Archaeological evidence shows the presence of the trade guilds of the ancient world in Asia Minor being headquartered here. Again, they were in the middle of of harbors to the south and harbors to the north. So it was this great middle spot for these trade guilds to set up shop. Now, if you don't know what a trade guild is, they are the precursor to our modern-day labor unions. If you don't know what a labor union is, just think if you live in a neighborhood with an HOA. (laughs) <laughs> most of around, uh, Muslims around here are blessed with the presence of HOAs. What do HOAs do? They make rules and they regulate things that can and cannot occur within the neighborhood. You think we live in a free country. You think because you paid for your house, you could build a fence whenever you wanted to. But you can't. It takes 47 emails, three meetings with architects, and an act of Congress to paint your house a different color. Thank you, HOAs. 
Well, Brent, why do we put up with that if, it's, if they make things so difficult? Because the, the benefit of the HOA is your neighbor, Bubba Joe, can't have 15 cars in the front yard all on blocks. <laughs> Driving your, your, the, house, the price of your house down into the ground. So, all right, there's benefit and there's a curse to it. Uh, but they found a way in the ancient world, these trade guilds, and, and archaeological evidence shows uh, pottery trade guilds, baker trade guilds, uh, linen, wool, the dye market trade guild. And as well as metalwork. And to be part of a trade guild, man, you got to stand. If you went through their process and you learned to do things according to their standards, you got their stamp of approval, their seal that you could hang in your shop. So people who needed metalwork done, they would, they would see you on one side of the road and somebody else without the trade guild seal on that side of the road. And they would go to where the, now it costs a little more. To get metal, but you know it's going to be done right to certain standards. If you need nails, you want nails that aren't going to fail you. So you go to a, to a trade guild, a skilled blacksmith to get the nails that you need. It made it very hard for those not in the trade guilds to buy and sell and to make a living. Now, not only do they have these trade guilds in Thyatira, which really is, is, is why they still exist at this time. But Thyatira is, again, not only the least of the city, but it's only mentioned one other time in the Bible. In Acts chapter 16, we meet a woman named Lydia who is, what do you know, a seller of purple, a trade guild uh, for dyes was in Thyatira. And that is where she was from. She was a very wealthy woman, so she probably would have been part of this trade guild. And many scholars believe. Now, remember, she's in Philippi when Paul comes in and, and meets this group of Jewish women out praying by the river. She becomes a convert through Paul's ministry. She becomes a patron of Paul's ministry, supporting uh, his missionary endeavors. Uh, most scholars believe there is some direct link between this church that exists in Thyatira and the influence of Lydia in these early days that Paul, on his missionary journeys, might have stopped there knowing some, some people that, that Lydia knew. I mean, she's from there. She's got kin. She's got friends. It would have been a, a doorway into Paul's ministry and planning this church or someone in Paul's uh, missionary outfit that he could have sent or left in Thyatira to, to plant and put in order the church there. So, and the angel to the church of Thyatira, write this, the words of the Son of God. Now, in chapter 1 of Revelation, we see this, this laid out expansive reality of who Jesus reveals himself as. And before each of these churches are written to, one little section of chapter 1 comes in. And, there, and there's a reason for that. I mean, the last sermon I got to preach was Smyrna, where Jesus takes from chapter 1, I am the one who was dead, but am alive again. Why did God use that little snippet of who he is? To speak, to begin speaking to the Smyrnans. Because, because they were under heavy persecution and Jesus' command was, them, was to be faithful unto death. Remember, death is not the end. So who Jesus is encourages the churches whom Jesus is commanding to, to do things. And it's no different here. There's a reason Jesus starts in his proclamation, in his letter to Thyatira with I, the words of the Son of God. 
Now listen, a lot of people have a a hard time understanding the sonship of Christ, whether it's be the son of man or the the son of God. He's called both things. And, and, And both of these are Titles. You need to understand Jesus as Son of God is a title behest and bestowed upon him by the Father. The the title Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, Son of God from uh, Psalm chapter 2, Messianic prophecy. These are both titles to show authority. Jesus isn't just another prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just some guy. He has been given the title of anointed, the, the title of Son, both in his incarnation as human, son of man, and his, incar- uh, his nature of deity, son of God. All authority, both Psalm 2 and um, uh, Daniel chapter 7, talk about these titles come with visible authority. Jesus in the heavens, son of God, Jesus on the earth, son of of man, all authority belongs to Jesus. Hear me when I say this. We live in a world that is upside down. Everyone lives only according to their own truth, their own authority. But this is fantasy, as we're going to see in a moment with his burnished bronze feet. There is a truth higher than our truth. As every parent knows when we have those conversations with our children. Right? There's a you may feel a certain way, but there's a higher truth. I don't want to brush my teeth. If you don't brush your teeth, your teeth are gonna fall out. But I don't want to, I don't feel like I have to. I identify as a non-toothbrushing person. <laughs> There's consequences for us living according to our truth. And there is a higher truth. And where does higher truth come from? It comes from the greatest authority, which is none other than the Son of God himself, the Son of Man himself, Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who is the highest truth. Everything he says is true, which is why we don't deviate. Now watch how he backs this up, and we're going to unpack this a little more. To Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, the one who has authority and power, the one through whom all things have been created. Nothing, Colossians says, would have been created apart from him. He's the cosmic glue that holds all matter, space, and time together. Without Christ, there's nothing. I mean, think about it. Son of God speaking right here to this church. He ha- who has eyes like a flame of fire. Fire throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. First, the judgment. And the Bible says his eyes are looking to and fro. Revelation a couple times, they're full of fire. There is nothing that he does not see. There is nothing that escapes his gaze. There's a problem here in Thyatira. They're doing some good stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. But there's a problem here. And Jesus 
sees it and his eyes are raging fireballs. As a result, there is no facade we can construct to hide our flaws and faults and sins from the eyes of God. He sees all. He knows all. Nothing escapes him. I mean, this is our God, amen? This is joyous and glory to those who belong to him. But to those who do not know Jesus, this should strike fear through your heart. You're not getting away with anything. Even if on the outside, you look good. Which, by the way, you can thank Sarah for my little get up this morning. I already regret everything. I'm sweating like a pig. Most of you think it's cold here. We're fixing to crank that down to like 62. (laughs) Nothing escapes him. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. And again, the metalworking bronze guild, who were in charge of all the military-grade bronze, was centered in Thyatira. These people knew good quality metal work. They knew the composition of, of the bronze alloy. They knew how dense. They knew how heavy. They knew how strong bronze was. Jesus says, I'm writing to you, the Son of God, with eyes flaming like fire, and my feet are made of bronze. What does that mean? It means I'm not moving. Isn't it funny how How many people you knew grew up in church who just don't think this matters anymore, that thinks somehow, someway, at death or at the second coming of Christ, they're going to be able to pull a spin, right, a stiff arm and get around God somehow, move him out of the way and get away with the life they want to live according to their truth. But God can't be stiff-armed and God can't be moved. God says, my feet are are planted in bronze. What I say to you is the highest form of truth and you need to listen or judgment is coming. Now, if you're new or visiting here, I want to give an example. And I, and I had five or six different examples that I wanted to give, but I've chosen one that's super controversial just because I like to mess things up. <laughs> Not everybody may be ready for this example in this room. And that's okay. All I ask you is please don't get up and walk out. You need to hear the end of the sermon. You know, there are a lot of different kinds of churches. There are new churches that are a little more superficial, a little more good feeling, a little more we're not going uh, to mess up the status quo. And then there's churches like ours that, that have bought in and care about what is true more than anything else. I want to tell you a story about just one time this book has caused me to reflect upon life and things happening around me and it has changed my mind. When I was a young Christian, like all young Christians, I just didn't know a whole lot. I was still operating out of 
an immature base of feelings and emotion. Just so you know, good theology doesn't happen in realms of chaotic emotion and relationship. Good theology happens in the studying of God's word and allowing it to hammer you into submission to what God says. He's the son of God. His eyes are the ones that are flaming with fire. It's his feet set in bronze. What he says is more important than we think. But as a young man, I didn't know that. I just knew I loved Jesus. And it was exciting. And woo, he saved me. And I just want to do stuff for him. And I went to churches that reflected the, the excitement and the let's jump up and down and run and let's get baptized three and four times in a service. There was no rules, no order, no, no method, just, just the, the thrill of the moment. And I went to a school to get a degree in ministry from a school that was like the churches that I was going to at the time. And at this school, I was thrust into this great theological debate of can a woman be a pastor in a church? Now, my first gut reaction was, well, of course. Why couldn't they be? And I went to my Bible. I mean, this is, you guys know what a big deal this is, right? In our world right now. And not only did I go to the Bible, I went to history. I studied from the beginning through, through the very end. Through all of what scripture taught. And in trying to prove. Because let me ask you a question. How many, how many husbands we got in the room? Raise your hand. How much do you love telling your wife no? <laughs> right? I'm training to be a pastor myself. And listen, when we're young, isn't the fear of man so prevalent in our lives? Don't we want to be liked by everyone? So I found myself in these circles and layers of like, well, I can't, my man, woman just as good as a man, and pow, pow, pow. And I was just like, yeah, you go, girl. And I'm trying to help the cause, right? We live in this postmodern reality. I mean, I was raised early 90s, postmodern reality. This was, this was how I was. I went to college in 93 the first time. The first time. <laughs> Didn't know my head from my tailbone. But I went to the Bible because, we're, I mean, if surely God's going to say something about this. And I began to study and I began to read. And the Old Testament is super clear. God created male and female, put them together in marriage. The two become one flesh and they are equal in dignity, honor, and value. But there seem to be different roles that God set. I mean, clear different roles. Now listen, and ladies in there, before we even get to the end of this, I, I need you to know, and I, hopefully you've been around a while, you know we like strong, godly, God-loving, God-fearing women. Amen? Women who are involved in every area that God allows them to be involved. JL women that will put a tip peg through a man's skull if called upon to do so. But as we move from the, this clear teaching in the Old Testament into the New Testament, I just, I couldn't find any way around 
that it was the man's equal, but they were different. And the man's role was a role of leadership within the home and leadership within the pastoral epistles are very clear. There was just, there's just one place in the church where God restricts a woman's uh, uh, effectiveness, not because she can't, but to preserve his creative order in male and female, which gender's kind of a big deal right now in our country, if you didn't know. And it is the egalitarian movement that gave way to the LGBTQ movement. All the same arguments are used by the LGBTQ movement that the egalitarians used to destroy and break down gender in the Bible. We are equal, but God made us different. And he gives different roles. And I was scratching my head as a young man going, surely this can't be. Why would would this be? And so I just happened. My uncle lives across the street from the premier Pentecostal theologian at the time. I won't tell you his name, but he did write the three-volume set on Pentecostal theological. Uh, He wrote the systematic theology for Pentecostal theology. And he was a flaming egalitarian. So I went there thinking this man can help me. He can help me see what I need to see. And as I sat in his, and, and I was so intimidated. And I really went to learn. I wasn't there to argue. I wasn't there to, I was like, please help me see how women can be pastor. I need to see it in the text. For three hours, and he opens up his Greek New Testament. I was so intimidated. I'm I'm like, English is good. (laughs) He's reading out of the Greek New Testament. And I was just like, that is so bad to the bone. I want to be like you. But he, I we were walking through the text. And there's not one or two or three or five. There's like dozens and dozens and dozens throughout from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Talk about the role of male, the role of female, the role of marriage, the role of uh, leadership and responsibility both in the home and in the church. And he's walking through and he was like, well, I think this. And, And I wasn't trying to be ugly. I was just asking the simple questions. Well, how can it mean what you're saying? How did God really eradicate the Male and female, but we still are male and female. How can gender be? I was just asking simple questions, which frustrated him. And at the end of three hours, he finally just threw up his hands. And he said, he said, look, he was like, it's not in the Bible, but I had a Sunday school teacher who was a woman. That's how I got saved. So I just want to believe that women can be pastors as a result. And it was my time to leave the house. Which, by the way, if, you, if, if that sounded good to you, Sunday school teachers aren't pastors. I left the house very disappointed. Because I knew what the Bible clearly taught. I, I knew in talking to the best of the best on that side, there is no egalitarian theology or argumentation that can come from God's word. And I knew that I would be hated for believing that because that's what I would have to preach from then on. But the Bible dictates, the Son of God has truth. Who am I? Who am I to say? And listen, if we meet at Starbucks and you give me, well, I just feel... And again, some of you are immature and this sounds mean and cruel and harsh and and you're not going to understand and you're going to write a blog about me and how dumb our church is. 
The reality is, how you feel doesn't make a blip in the scope of eternity. What God says is true whether you like it or not. So when he says something we don't like, we change our minds. That's the church you're sitting in. It may not be for you right now. Go out to the church down the road. But guess what? Ten years, if you continue to pursue Christ through his word, you're going to be back here. <laughs> and we're, like, we're becoming like unicorns. You guys be praying for Mick Knox. They just started a, a church that uh, here in town... They're Presbyterians, if any of you are Presbyterians, he's going to preach the gospel, he's going to be faithful to the word, and we need to be praying for churches like that. We need more churches. We hope to plant our third campus somewhere in Kennesaw or Marion or somewhere out there in January 2024 because we need more. There's lots of churches out there that are like, well, what do you think? I don't know. Let's take a poll. Where, which way is the wind blowing? I'm so sick of guys like Joel Osteen who gets all the platform in the world. And he never gets it right. Never. The last video that I saw, that last interview, he was on The View and Whoopi Goldberg was just, he was there to push a book. Your best, most sunshine, whatever you feel like now. We're not even to the sexual immorality part. And Whoopi was pressing him on the LGBTQ stuff. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I mean, for like five minutes, he hemmed and hawed. Well, I don't really, you know, everybody wants to talk. I just want to focus on the positive. I just, but Whoopi was relentless. She was just like, no, I need to know what you think because she's lesbian. And finally, his final answer, well, it was, it's just not God's best. So what the Bible calls an abomination, he says, it's not God's best. You better get in a better church because the whole point of God's message to Thyatira is truth and authority comes from me and I see everything and I'm not moving and you're involved in tolerating those who are preaching the wrong things. And this I have against you. Let's, let's move. 19. I know your works. Now where have we seen this before? The first church, the church in Ephesus. Starts out the same way. I know your works. They were doing good things. But notice the difference. Go back to the beginning of chapter 2 real quick. Let's just read verse 2 of chapter 2. Because these are like direct opposites. Ephesus and Thyatira. I know your works. Your toil. And your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So Ephesus was working hard. They were toiling. The sweat was coming down. And they could smell a false teacher a mile away. And they would, no, sir, you're not getting in here. So what was the problem in Ephesus? But you've lost your first love. Everything they were doing was out of rote, was out of ritual. They'd lost the, the motivation of love. They were all head. They knew what was right. They could spot what was wrong. They could, they could course correct from a mental ability, but they'd lost the heart. Well, Thyatira, it's not I know your works and your toil. It's I know your works and your love. 
I know your works, your love, your faith, and your patient endurance. Those who couldn't be part of the trade guilds because of all the, the t- right, uh, trade guilds had patron gods and goddesses who, who weren't Yahweh and it's some Christ. So some people opted out of them. They were, they were patient endurance. They were losing money. It was hard for them to make a living. But out of their, their works came out of love. See, there's a, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. If you're all head, it's not good. If all your works come from head, it's not, I mean, how many guys do you know with blogs out there? Professor so-and-so, somebody somewhere who's so smart and so great. There's no love. That's Ephesus. Thyatira is different. Thyatira is no head. And all heart, all love. Which one leads to cold, rigid theology. The other leads to toleration of things that should not be tolerated. If you're in this room and you're a priest and you're a, you're a soft heart, right? Ephesus is to the prophets. It's truth, truth, truth. We lose the love for God and love for others. Thyatira is being written to because they've lost the head. And well, maybe it doesn't matter so much. And ah, well, maybe that's not important. And ah, I don't really want to think about that. It's just blah, blah, blah. So, mushy, mushy love. <laughs> Sounds right to a lot of people, but both are wrong. We need both head and heart involved in our church. I know your works, your love, faith, service, patient, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. You guys are doing amazing. This church from the outside looks like it is on fire. They're doing it all. They're part of Clark's Christmas kids. Come on, that's, that's, that's current for us. They're running the show. But I have this against you. You tolerate. You allow. Now listen, some people are being deceived in this church. We'll see later. But not everybody. Their sin is not like in Pergamum where it's just kind of a, a free-for-all into this sexual immorality stuff. No, there are people who through their love and through their desire just to continue to work, to keep the peace, to keep things going, they are allowing a person to say things in the church that should not be said. That's what toleration is. And, and isn't it funny, if you've never read D.A. Carson's the, the Intolerance of Tolerance, you need to read it. Because the people shouting, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. In our culture, the loudest are the most intolerant people. Tolerate me, tolerate, accept me, accept me, accept me. Oh, I'm never going to accept you, but you accept me. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to cancel your accounts. I'm going to make sure you can't do business anymore uh, if you don't accept me. It's a very one-sided tolerance, isn't it? Satan never uses his own tricks against himself. But he uses them quite effectively against God's people. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman. Now, understand this. That woman could also be translated, woman, gyne, uh, in in the Greek, it could also be translated wife. Some scholars say the reason this woman has been able to gain influence within the church in her teaching is because she's the wife of one of the pastors there. Which is why people are just like, we'll just love and we'll keep the things going and we're we're not going to speak up, we're not going to say anything. Regardless, it doesn't matter 
There's a woman in this church teaching things that should not be taught. But this I have against you. Tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Now, is this woman's name actually Jezebel? It could be, but probably not. Just like when we get to Babylon a little later in Revelation. Babylon's been been destroyed by Persia a long time ago, but it served a purpose of judgment in God's people in Old Testament past. So the name is brought forth to, to show the cycle of time and the cycle of sin and the call to repentance. Jezebel is the wicked witch of the West in the Old Testament. Green face, riding a broom, evil woman. Now, we live in a day because most of you are like, well, you know, I've seen Wicked. She's not really that bad. <laughs> we love anti here. We love taking. If you, I grew up watching Sleeping Beauty, and guess what? I never was on Maleficent's side. But we love taking villains and showing a different angle. It's what Satan does. Is it really that bad? Ah, look at it from this angle. She's not that bad. We love the anti hero, someone who does bad, that we turn into a hero. Jezebel is an actual villain of the Old Testament. Ahab, the king of northern Israel, marries her in a, in a political marriage. He is, he's stationed in Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, she's from uh, she's Sidonian. Her, hus, her uh, father's name is Ethbaal. B-A-A-L is the last four letters of his name. Why? Because the Sidonians worship the god Baal. If you've read any Old Testament, you know about Baal and Asherah, the male-female prime god and goddess of the Sidonians and a lot of the ancient Canaanite cultures. So this political marriage, she comes over into Israel and she brings her gods with her. Baal and Asherah. And, and Ahab sets up temples and poles for these guys and tells the Israelites, all right, we're not worshiping Yahweh anymore. We're going to worship these false pagan gods. And she sets up this entire priesthood. There are 400 priests. You can read all about this in 1 Kings chapter 16 through chapters 19. She's a terrible person who brings idol worship and sexual immorality to Israel. When God said, you guys are going to look different from all the other cultures. You don't have temple prostitutes who are part of your worship experience. You're different. But the Sidonians come in, Jezebel comes in, and she changes everything. And put up 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 21 real quick. God raises up Elijah to come in. And what does Elijah say? Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping? Look, you can't be double-minded. You can't have your foot in both camps. Like Joshua, who at the end of his life, all his life, he had followed God and led the people toward following God. And God had gave them the land through the conquest of Joshua. At the end of Joshua's life when he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, I can't control what my kids are doing in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years. But what I can do is I can breathe my last breaths with a life that has honored God and followed God and changed my mind according to what God says. And I want my final breath to be as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord as the example you can't do it both ways. 
You can't, you can't split the line and have a foot in both camps. How long are you going to go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And of course the people, Elijah says, a test. Let's see who the real God is. She's got 400 prophets dedicated to Baal. Her followers, her children, right? Jesus calls the scribes and the Pharisees a brood of vipers, right? Which, which is the, the, the offspring of the serpent. He says, you're just like your father, the devil, the prophets of Baal or the children, she, she brought them in. She brought them to life within Israel. It, it's important here as we move through this text. Elijah says, a test. And this is the great Mount Carmel reality where we're going to build two altars and you guys can go first. Call fire down. Uh, ask Baal to consume your sacrifice. And they all morning long, they're praying, oh, Lord, you know, uh, Baal, answer our prayer. And nothing happens. And Elijah starts taunting them. After a couple hours, he's like, hey, maybe he's on a trip. He actually says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Give him a a few more minutes. To which they begin cutting themselves and really crying out to Baal. Of course, nothing happens. And then Elijah takes, builds his altar, sets his bull on the altar, says, dig a trench around it. They dig a trench two feet deep, pour water on it, pour more water on it, pour more water on it. Trench is full of water, the whole altar soaked. He prays one prayer, God, show yourself. Boom, fire from heaven. Guess what happens next? All the prophets, all the followers, all the children of Jezebel come to their end. Read the text. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. I feel like because we talk about women pastors, I should say just something about that. It's not really, a, uh, it's not really in the text, but uh, there are a lot of speaking gifts women can do in the church. There is singing and praying and reading scripture. And even there are prophetic and teaching gifts. Women can't be used in it. But this is not pastoral. This wasn't, woman wasn't a pastor here. That woman just calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my serves. Seducing them like Satan seduced Eve in the garden. Seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Right? We should know. Did you know that every... So what's one of the big things she's teaching that people are tolerating? Yeah, you got a lot of love to give. Seems selfish just to keep it between you and one other person. Love the one you're with. Love the one you're with. Right? Let's... She's, she's these, these trade guilds, their operation, temple prostitutes in town. She's like, all this is, she's antinomian. There are no rules for you, your body, what you eat, what, what you do with, with others. 
Just so we're clear, again, there is a creative order in which God has laid out for mankind. It is a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, coming together in lifelong matrimony. We're not egalitarian, we're complementarian. God makes Adam, God makes Eve. They are equal in dignity, honor, and value, but they are different in role and put together, the man and the woman. They fit perfectly, complementing one another, as well as bringing new life into to the world there is not only the the harmony of man and woman coming together the usefulness and the help of them coming together but in procreation it keeps human existence alive on planet earth it has purpose these are the boundaries god sets anything outside those boundaries is porneia sexual immorality which involves anything outside the bounds that you could possibly think of a few examples Fornication is sexual immorality. Almost every, new, the only New Testament books that don't mention sexual immorality is sin. This isn't just a revelation thing. It's not just a Jesus in the gospel thing. It's not just a Paul in his letters thing. The only books that don't mention it are when Paul's talking to a single person about a single issue. Every book that talks to the church, that commands the church, breaks down sexual immorality. Anything outside of Christian marriage. Fornication is young people who are not married, or even if you're old and not married. If you're not married and you are involved in sexual relationship, it's called fornication. It's part of sexual immorality. It's sin. Stop. Come back into bounds. Find someone you think you can marry and date and court and do things God's way. Don't cohabitate. Don't pretend you're married. Don't give me this, well, we're married in God's eyes. God's eyes are flames of fire. You're out of bounds. Come back into bounds. That's what repent means. Come back in bounds. If you're married, you have a spouse, you're a husband, you have a wife, wife, you have a husband, adultery is when we step out of bounds and we have sexual relationship with someone, immorality, sexual immorality, with someone who's not our spouse. It's sin. Repent. Get back in bounds. Romans 1 clearly teaches anything within the spectrum of LGBTQ plus anything. If a man lays with a man, if a woman lays with a woman, it's abomination. It's sexual immorality. Even pornography. Some of you young men, I feel so sorry for you. You've had such easy access to pornography your entire lives. But Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, it's sin, it's adultery. We've got to protect. Did you know that sexual sin is not just, a, it's the only sin in the Bible that says it's not just a sin against God. It's a sin against your own body. You know where sexual immorality leads? Read Romans 1. It, reads, it leads to the wrath of God in making you a pervert and a reprobate who can never understand the glory of true sexual intimacy and bliss within the context of marriage. God says he, eventually you become so perverted that God gives you over to a reprobate mind. I mean, when you look at the stuff that's going on in our world, guys, I'm so glad that guy finally got fired from our government who dresses up like a dog. Sick. 
twisted, mental ill, not to be celebrated. That's reprobation. Up becomes down and down becomes up and good becomes evil. Evil becomes good. It's what happens when we sin against God and sin against ourselves in the process. We become so lost and so darkened. We can't even see what is pure or true any longer, which is why these people fighting in our culture today, you're just like, what planet are you from? But they just can't see. Blind by their own perversion. Blind by their mother, Jezebel, who's teaching the deep things of Satan. Let's move. I gave her time. Just in this section, even Jezebel has time to repent. You look back through the Old Testament, Elijah keeps coming. Why don't you just do things God's way? Why don't you just do things God's way? Why don't you just repent, turn from your sin? Jezebel, as we become more reprobate, more stuck in our own ways, more our truth is the only truth for us. We become darker, 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 hardened. If you remember the Exodus narrative, God gives opportunity to repent. Pharaoh says, no, I'm God. We're going to do it my way. And, and that's how God hardens through opportunities of repentance. And we harden ourselves. No, my truth is greater than your truth. Your truth is not greater than the truth that comes from the Son of God, whose feet are in bronze. It's not. Obey you here. God gives everyone under the sound of my voice right now in this room. There's still a chance. There's still time to repent. But the ark is being built, and when the doors of the ark shut, if you're on the outside, it's nothing but the judgment of God. Once the door shuts, salvation's time since this. Why Jesus now, today is the day of salvation. Repent of your, don't be like Jezebel. Don't keep thinking you're smarter than God. You're more right than God. You're more true than God who created all things. Return to the Lord before you come to a hardened state where you cannot. If you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, it's God's grace. You're not too far gone. There's time to turn from sin and come back into the bounds that God has set for his people. By the way, those boundaries are not restrictive. They are for true blessing True intimacy, true purpose. God's ways are the best ways. But she refused. So what's going to happen? She's going to die. Her followers, her children are going to die. And God is right to end them in their, in, in their godlessness and lack of repentance. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead and all the church. Look, all the churches are going to see. All the churches are going to see. Not just in Thyatira. All the churches are going to see. And all the churches, we are going to see the wrath of God. Romans 1, the judgment of God upon the ungodly, upon the unrighteous. And we're not going to be shocked or fall back in horror. We're going to celebrate the prevailing of true righteousness throughout the world. Now watch this, verse 24. But the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, 
who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. The deep thing. Don't we just love deep teaching? Somebody's standing in something deeper than the gospel, you'd better be careful. Because it's probably not good. It's probably scuba lung. Some true four-pointers in here. <laughs> Philippians 3, do your own study. But people love the mystical, the Gnosticism, the secret, the secret things that Jezebel, oh no, we're free to do this. That. Oh, and this is a fuller expression of our humanity and, and beautiful, right? That's why we have a, a, a toilet made of gold that we call America in our art museums. Such self-expression is where beauty truly can no, no, everything that's in here that comes out is garbage. It's refuse. It shows how sinful we are. Repentance shows the beauty and the glory of God to save sinners from themselves. Satan's trick is always the same. These deep things of Satan, what are they? All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve knew exactly what God said, just like we know exactly what God says. But Satan comes along through friends, through co-workers, through guidance counselors in our public schools, through drag queen story hour at the library. Did God really say, how can, look at me, I seem to be happy how could God be against me? How could God be against my homosexual marriage? Or how could God be against me living with my girlfriend? His eyes, God said, and his eyes are flames of fire, ready to judge the unrighteous who do not repent and do things God's way. Do not be fooled. Do not be deceived as Eve was in the garden and as Adam was. As Eve handed him the same forbidden Fruit. 25, only hold fast to what, I, what you have until I come. The one, oh, I do not lay any other burden upon you. What did the Jerusalem council say? In Acts chapter 15, all these Gentiles are getting saved. They're coming into the church. Their customs and the Jewish customs aren't meshing well. So Jerusalem council says, it seems right to us that you guys abstain from sexual immorality. And don't eat meat as part of the temple sacrifices to, to false and pagan gods. Just do these things to help us keep the peace. Jesus says, I don't hold, those of you who are already doing these things and not, you're not tolerating and you're not falling for it, I don't put anything else on you. Watch this. And this is, we got to get there. And I know I'm three minutes late, but let's read it quick. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. How can God do that? Because the authority is his to give. And he will rule them with a, he's talking about the church here, will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from the Father. Listen, here's what nobody right now that's living in the upside down out there can do. Have a rational response built on logic and, under, and truth. They cannot do it, which is why they're creating more and more false realities and false narratives and, and redefining words. I don't know if you know this, we're, we're still not in a recession. 
false narratives, false, redefining words. What is a woman, male, female, gender, marriage? We just redefine that again. Which, by the way, your religious liberties, pfft, you wait till the next baker gets sued. You're going to see how far your religious liberties go. But we can speak with authority in Jesus Christ because his truth, you can see it. There's no facade people can hide behind. Truth breaks through. Their excuses, their rationale, their logic falls to the ground in pieces. They, they know it does. They know they have nothing to say in response. They even know they're wrong. They know it's not okay to dress up like a woman and read books to five-year-olds. Anyone with common sense knows you don't talk to a five-year-old about heterosexual sex, much less anything else. Reprobate. We have authority in Christ Jesus here and now to say, no, enough. We don't hate you. You do whatever you want to in your home, but you're not bringing it into the school to our kindergarten children and our first graders. And I will give those who conquer, those who will not tolerate, I will give him the morning star. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Put it up there real quick. What is this morning star? Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It's because it is. Morning star is none other than Jesus himself. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright Morning star. There's no debate. And at the end of the day, man, we've talked about heaven and we've talked about the table and we've talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's so many wonderful things about eternity. Our, our bodies, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain. But the greatest thing to those who conquer, the greatest thing to those who repent and who stay in God's word with both their heads, judging good and evil as we are supposed to according to God's word, but also with our heart, loving people and doing the good works that we're supposed to do at the same time, not tolerating evil those of us who conquer and follow everything God says the whole counsel of God well our reward is not just heaven it's not just incorruptible bodies our reward is Christ himself just as our human marriages reflect this mystery of the gospel right the, the, the husband doesn't stop being the man, the, the wife doesn't stop being the woman, but the two do come together. And the mystery is, is these two become one. And we see here that our final reward, our great reward for conquering is to belong to Christ Jesus forever, to, to know him, to have him, to hold him forever and ever and ever. Christ is the reward. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we live in an amazing time. Father, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Help us to be faithful. God, help us to repent of our sins. And maybe our sin wasn't in today's sermon. 
Maybe our sin's not sexual immorality or, or, or uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. But Lord Jesus, you know we all have flaws, we all have faults. Convict us. Help us conquer. Help us understand there is no temptation you will allow Satan to bring upon us that we cannot conquer through the power of your spirit in, in your name, Son of God. Raise up strong men and strong women. Lord Jesus, for those listening online or for those who may be in this room, God, if they feel the conviction this morning, God, bring them to salvation for the first time. Help them to see the fallacy of their own truth and depend and fall upon your truth that comes from your mouth. May repentance be real both in your people and in those who are not yet your people this morning. It is in Jesus' name. And everybody said...